American graffiti. Where were you in 62? Grab that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown, and catch American graffiti. American graffiti. Baby, what's that? It's a movie. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time. Where were you in 62? Is that you in that beautiful car? Jeez, what a waste of machinery. Welcome back to the Mad About Movies VIP Club. Now here's one of your hosts, Kent, Brian, or Richard. What is up, man fam? Welcome to the VIP Bar Club Grill Lounge. Mel's Diner. Driving? Mel's driving? Mel's driving. Uh, classic car construction Whoa. and... and Kind of a gas monkey situation. We do, yeah. We got to, but like more a, like cool. Got a whole bunch of guys over here in white t-shirts with cigarettes rolled up into the sleeves. Uh huh. That's when men were men. Uh, Orange uh, County choppers. Orange County choppers. Yeah. yeah, we opened we opened one of those. Uh, we'll, I'm a little That's when we probably guys, but, knew cable wasn't uh, <laughs> for the long haul. You know when those shows were really doing well. Right. Yeah. Between that and. Uh, Oh, what's the the Louisiana uh, the camp the Bayou guys? Are right? yeah, yeah. Oh, talking about uh, Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. There we go. Yeah, uh, yeah. Between that, and, like Pawn Stars, and you know, Storage Boo Boo Wars too, right? I mean, that. I'm I'm guilty of watching some Storage Wars. I think about doing storage auctions every day. To be honest with you guys, it's something that sticks in my brain pretty hard. But still, not well, a great guys TV. Feel like. Have ever seen or you didn't see this new John Wilson? season but he's walking somewhere in new york uh and interviews this guy like he's like hey can i talk to you for a second he talks to him he's talking about like what it's like to live in this neighborhood in new york and he's like what are you watching he's like ice road truckers (laughs) (laughs) ice road truck (laughs) it's just the funniest throwaway (laughs) it's like of all the things this guy was like Posted up watching Ice Road Truckers and like man, that is a show that I am shocked as an audience <laughs> watching Ice Road a, Truckers. <laughs> here's here's a good one. Uh, we I have a friend. You have both met him, but I won't I won't call him out. You can you can ask me after the pod if you want. But one time he was watching. I it wasn't Ice Road Truckers, but it was one of those ones like. Alaskan state trooper kind of, you know, the wild of Alaskan, <laughs> right, whatever. Right. And he's like hung over on a Sunday and he's watching it and, uh, they're arresting this guy and he's like, Oh, that's my dad. <laughs> and it was just his dad getting arrested. on like, Whatever that Alaskan run from the law, Alaska show was <laughs> for like a ton of whatever drunken disorderlies across the state or something like, cool. Oh. That feels good. Whoopsie. Uh, I'm all for a good, some junk TV, but some of it is like, what? It's amazing. I just don't know how there's this, there's this much of it, I think is where I, it's like, I, I mean, I watch it. I watch a ton of HGTV and house hunters and all that stuff. That's not too far off of all of this. You know, I get it, but I can't believe there's a even, pimple popper show that people watch. Yeah, I just I don't, can't, I just I, don't that, understand how there's this much of it. It's yeah, it's, I, that's the thing. I, but you know, 
Someone could say the same thing about comic book movies and TV shows and stuff too. I get it. There's a lot of content, I guess is the point. Um, I don't know how we have so many cable channels anymore. That's really where I feel like, what are we doing here? I don't, I don't know how this is, how are these staying in business? Uh, totally. At this point? I always think that that stuff's stupid. And then I'm always like my favorite hobby is for like <laughs> nine hours straight watching guys throw a ball around a field or kick a ball or whatever. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Uh, with arbitrary rules that don't matter. Right. So yeah, I can't really true. judge. Can't judge. We're not watching people judge. get, just don't get it. Their yeah. zits popped. That, I that I draw the line at. I, that you got, you should be on some sort of watch list. If you're, if you're yeah. watching one of these things, I feel what's like. weirder, honestly, watching that and pleasuring yourself or watching that and not. <laughs> Cause at least those guys, yeah. you know, you got a thing, right? Like it's that's the, like, that was kind of put on you. The for same whatever. watch list regardless. <laughs> whatever happened to you in your down. youth, like you, you got, that's your thing you got to work through. But like just enjoying that, not with trauma is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's weird either way. And thanks to Nielsen data, you're on a watch list. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> right, I know. Yeah. I write it in my Nielsen journal. <laughs> Honey, get dinner ready. Doctor Pimple Popper is almost on. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like that's my thing. I'm very sensitive about shows. I I can eat dinner too. Can yeah. eat dinner too. Yes. Mm-hmm. We watch TV when we eat dinner, which is not great. We probably should break that habit as we have a, a kid getting older. But meh. But uh, yeah. Way. But like, I'm always like, we can be really deep into like a drama or something. And Sarah mm-hmm. will be like, want to watch that? I'm like, I don't, because there's someone that might get their head blown <laughs> right. off. And if I'm right. eating, yeah. that ruins it. Yeah. I'm very. I'm weak about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when you watch American Choppers. All right. Um, yeah. We are talking about American Graffiti. This mm. is a movie turning 50 years old this year. Wow. 50 years old, but kind of ways. timeless because of yeah. its uh, era, obviously. It's it's uh, setting in 1962. This is the second George Lucas movie, I believe, after THX 1138. Um but his first successful movie, and that's a big part of, that's a big part of why we're talking about it fifty years on. I think, um, and sort of it's uh, kind of get into at the end here, like the legacy that this movie ends up creating, and wh- you know what it leads to. But um, want to get, want to get your background, uh, both of you. I like when we do. Let me put it. I don't want to do. We we do give or take fifty two throwbacks a year. Um, I don't want a huge chunk of those 52 movies to be, uh, older movies to be movies that are older than, than we are or much older than we are. But I do like when we, when we do this, um, once every other month or so talk about something that is an older film because it's, they're not movies that come up in our conversation as much. And for a lot of times, I think these are the movies that we are, we, the three of us between it, it, we're more likely to have only seen this uh, a movie that's 50 years old once or twice or not at all, something like that, between the three of us. And so I think sometimes those are the more fun conversations than talking about the movies that we've all seen 100,000 times each. So um, that's definitely the deal for me. This is a classic movie that I've seen three times, you know, or something like that. Uh, it's a movie that I have, I would almost say I have more appreciation for than I do actually enjoy and I don't know the last time that I sat down and I watched this thing but I do remember this being a player in my household like for my for my dad um and it's 
I really think it's a very well put, really, really good movie um, that has a great legacy, and and I've enjoyed it every time I've watched it. And this was a a decent, this was a fun, a fun revisit for the first time in you know fifteen years or something like that. So, uh, not not a movie I watch a ton, but a movie that I really appreciate and I think has a lot of value. Uh, and now Richard will say this movie's dog crap. So Richard, what's your background with uh, dog American crap? Graffiti? No. It's a it's a really it's a much more important movie than it is a good movie, right? Because it's like it launches a lot of stuff, um, both on in front and behind the camera. It's weird um, because George Lucas just never did this again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's funny too. I mean, the only movies he directs after this are A New Hope and then the three prequels, um, and is becomes right, far more of a technologist, you know, right. than a than a filmmaker. Both when he's making movies and when he's not to to uh, to good and bad results, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's, so it's a really interesting movie that this this kind of like dramedy, you know, it's got this ensemble cast. There are almost no aliens, um, <laughs> but yeah, and it's it's that it's this very kind of grounded thing. It's about a really interesting. I'm always really fat. I think the fifties are um, oftentimes more interesting than the sixties, the sixties get a lot of the hype, but there's so much interesting real revolution happening in the fifties, but in this kind of subtle way, you know, the invention of the teenager and all these things that are like, um, really just marketing, but, but change the entire paradigm of how we view American culture. And so things that dwell on that and talk about that are interesting to me. So, Mm. um, I I do I like this movie a lot. It's one of my favorites of the era. I think it's really cool. Um, it's uh, other than A New Hope, it's the second best George Lucas movie. So that's great. Um, <laughs> so as a director, so um, yeah, it's it's one I I have not revisited in a long time. My first time seeing it, gosh, I I don't know. I you know, I uh, young though, not too young, but teens. Um, seen it probably three or four times. Always like it more than I think I do. Mm. Um, and it's fun to see like, you know, Harrison Ford and Ron Howard and, and to a lesser extent Dreyfus, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, at this, at this, uh, piece in their career. And also I want to say, um, I love the kind of French influence of the like vignette structure mm. of it. I think it's mm-hmm. really cool. It doesn't have to do that. That's very Lucasy. Like, that whole era of like super literate film students um, of mm. that time, you know, with Coppola producing this and and Lucas making it, um, but but it doesn't come off as pretentious. It comes off as an original way of making this, and I always try to put it in that context of how revolutionary that kind of was for mm-hmm. a big kind of American movie. For no pun intended. Totally. So that's my my synopsis. Can't. What about you, man? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same. I grew up on this one. It was a big player with my parents. They always would talk about how great it was and all the actors they they loved and how it reminded them of their youth and things like that. So, uh, you know, anytime it would come on, they would watch it. Uh, so very familiar with it. It was a big Ron Howard guy in in our house. He was a big player with not just yeah. this, but Happy Days and Andy Griffith were on all the time yeah. in my house. So it's another Ron Howard piece of content for you. It's interesting to go back and watch this and to see him and yeah, again Harrison Ford, but 
to me, this is like the most bearable Richard Dreyfus performance. <laughs> maybe like I don't know the youth version of him is actually like wow. You could see why this guy was getting all these gigs because I think he's pretty endearing as a as a youth, but. Once Jaws comes around and he's just like an old crank for the rest of his career, I think it <laughs> it really yeah. soured me on him. Like I haven't enjoyed him in anything since then. But like the early Dreyfus, like really yeah. like Close Encounters, pretty good, right. you know? Right. I think that it wasn't real fast, not to interrupt you, but I, I think I think that for Dreyfus when he's like a kind of a smug twenties Dreyfus, you're like, mm-hmm. I freaking hate this guy, but he, dang he's good at this. And then by the time he's in his 30s and 40s, he's like, God, I just want to punch him in the face. I just hate this guy so much. He's so yeah. he's so insufferable. But yeah, I'm with you. It's like this, it's the back Jaws, of the class and, thing. Yeah. and cl- yeah, Close Encounters. Uh, it's it's sort of an enjoyable... Uh, you, you you like seeing him suffer in this movie, I think, but he's mm-hmm. he's, he's a good actor. He's very yeah, good he's at this. Yeah, he's a buffoon in this, and he's, he's, doing, he's yeah. hanging out with people that are way cooler than him, and he wants right. to hang out. He right. wants to fit in. I, that's yeah. a... Maybe it's an endearing character for him to play or a humbling character for him to play, but I found myself liking him more in this movie than mm-hmm. uh, I ever would in anything else. But you're right, Richard. That's What I was going to hit on was before Star Wars, George Lucas was like a auteur, you know, like mm-hmm. a real right. artsy filmmaker. And even his USC stuff was so artsy, his THX short film and then that movie and then all you know, short films that he made while in film school were so European influenced that they, you know, people like Coppola didn't think he'd ever make it in America because he was too artsy and mm-hmm. too out there. And we think of him now as this, like the quintessential blockbuster filmmaker, right? But really he started from a place that was just purely experimental. And I think this movie was a response to Coppola seeing THX and was like, dude, you need to make a movie for everyone. This movie's for you and me and nerds, which it's great for that, but I don't think you can make a movie for, you know, the average person, people's mm. families, people's moms, right? And so he's like, oh, I think I can. Oh, I think I can do that. <laughs> and and did this, obviously inspired by his, his upbringing, but what I love right. about it is that it's just a hangout movie. Yeah, at the end of the day, and this, we've seen this trope repeated. I don't know if this was the first to do the trope of it's the last day of school. We got to get one last night in a partying before this is all over. Or mm. if that was a cliche he borrowed, I'm sure it probably was. But that's always something that works to me. Yeah, and a movie like this, sure it was nostalgic at the time, but even more now because it's just people hanging out with people. And there's no internet drama or anything like that going on. And it's just a time that's further and further away as the years go by was these types of nights. And we had them in high school, Richard, where we'd all, we'd meet at Whataburger and then we'd go to the movies and then we'd drive somewhere else after them. You know, it was like we would cruise kind of around our area and see who we see. We'd see people at stoplights. Oh, come over with us. You know, that type of stuff. Just is few and far between these days it feels like right. with the the way people are just connected all the time and and uh so it's got that nostalgia for it i've never been somebody who loves the aesthetic of 1950s early 60s america i can't stand like the greaser culture 
I let the let's go down to the sock hop stuff. I just mm. don't care for it. I've never been drawn to it as like a in movies or Broadway plays or anything like that. And so for me to come away with this movie, like, wow, I enjoyed that is saying a lot because mm-hmm. I just find this entire, I don't know, trope, if you will, like the the car- caricatured version of it, just really cringy most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, best thing about this movie is the cars, though. I mean, awesome cars. I think Lucas is a big car guy and wanted yeah. to really show that off. I'm surprised there's not more. There is that one car chase Mm -hmm. the end, but I'm surprised he didn't try to put more hot rodding in this movie Mm -hmm. than he did. I think some of that's probably the budget. This is like a $750,000 movie, um, which it ends up making like one, one forty globally. So that's, that's one of the most profitable movies of all time, obviously. Um, but like the budget was so low that, that they, this movie invented, uh, credits essentially uh this is like the this is the first movie where anyone who was involved in the cast and crew gets a credit at the end got a back end yeah because uh because he he sort of paid quote unquote some of the people in this movie some of the crew at least with a credit uh i guess up to this point you'd only see a credit for the head of each department and and part of the the movie and instead this one gets everybody in there so um that i think that's probably some of the reason why you don't get more um races and 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 hot rod rotting and all that kind of stuff can't um yeah Makes yeah sense. it's it, it's this is a really interesting movie um because and for a lot of reasons but one of the reasons being because lucas never does this again as you mentioned richard I would say that it's because he can't. I think this is such an autobiographical movie for him or like sort of a, 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 a fantastical version of an autobiographical film kind of. And I'm not sure that he could, I'm not sure that he had anything else to draw on for this kind of movie. Um, but then also obviously Star Wars comes out and it changes everything and he becomes a completely different kind of of uh, he becomes a producer, not a filmmaker. I was thinking know. this in the prep for the show, Brian. Mm-hmm. Do you think if he never got the merchandising rights to Star Wars, that that would have changed his entire career? I think that's what kept him from making movies. Was he was making so much money on just yeah. the IP of yeah. Star Wars, aside from the movies? Like, oh, I'm so rich, it's, I don't have to. But if he didn't have that money, I think creatively he would still be striving for that i think that that's possible but the 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 counter argument to that is this movie made him an overnight multimillionaire, and because he i mean he he got he he got a huge chunk of the of the the pot on this because it costs nothing to make and he he made a pretty ended up making a pretty good deal with universal to, to get it made um, and then finance Star Wars, basically, right? Yes. This so the end of this whole the, at the at the end of the day, he comes out of this movie with the money that he uses to finance Star Wars, and the money that he uses to start the companies that became ILM, uh, Lucasfilm, Skywalker Sound, ILM, and uh, oh, uh, what became Pixar? What did you, I can't, what's it called? What was it called? Uh, it was called Pixar originally. 
It was it was called something was, else before yeah. he sold it to Jobs. It was like Star Wars Creatives or something Star Wars Creative or something like that. Um he comes out of this with so much money that I I don't know, Kent. I don't know if if Star Wars doesn't happen or if Star Wars bombed the way that they thought that it was going to bomb. I think that he probably has made enough money out of this that it just takes a long, maybe it just rolls directly into Indiana Jones and that becomes the legacy instead of Star Wars. I, yeah, that's true. I don't think that he, I think that he was much more inclined to become an entrepreneur and a producer and a sort of a futurist and, and invested in the technology side of things. Then he was Brian, by the way, there it is. Thank you. Um, than he was in becoming a a director, a filmmaker um, like this. I think that I think that that's kind of the path he always would have ended up on. There probably though would be more credits in there. You know, it's it's instead of focusing the rest of his life essentially film wise on Star Wars uh, with with a few writing credits here and there. Otherwise, I. I think that that maybe maybe you get a few more movies in the late seventies and early eighties that he's the director of, you know. But I think this is kind of where he always ends up is more on the producing and technology side of things. Um, but it would be an interesting. It is very interesting to go back and look at and read about um, the movie Bratz, you know, with him and Spielberg and Coppola and and De Palma and Scorsese and. And to see, like, you're exactly right, Kent. That they that they kind of thought, hey, dude, you're you're too you're too much of an auteur. This is not going to work for American audiences and stuff. That is a crazy thing to think about when you think about the person that essentially invents summer blockbusters and whatnot. It's it's a it's it's quite a. Uh, it's honestly question. amazing that ever worked because that was yeah. a super weird idea. Yeah, it just happened to be one that everybody reacted to you know mm-hmm. it's like oh well my after american graffiti i'm gonna have this one with this talking uh ape and these <laughs> right. uh laser right. swords it's like okay you can't go straight back to <laughs> right. which he did right. and it worked he's like no trust me on this one yeah. you know, just trust me it's it's really it would be interesting to see the world where spielberg doesn't do jaws and um and lucas doesn't do star wars and and what would have happened um for for those guys but I do think that this was a big enough hit. I mean, this, I always think of Jaws and Star Wars as like, this is, this was where summer blockbuster started. But really, this is, this was sort of the precursor to that. I mean, this is a huge, huge movie on a huge, on a tiny, tiny budget. Um, and, and again, it makes him very rich very quickly. And, um, it, that's what starts, I think, a lot of these, I, I think that's the precursor that matters for, for Jaws and Star Wars and E.T. and all of those movies. Um, Richard, I'm I'm with you, and I, I don't... I can't really put my finger on why this is, because like can't... I hate greaser culture. I don't... Obviously, I hate grease more than anything. Maybe that's the main the main reason um, that I hate this that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't care for that stuff, and I don't... I'm not a car guy. I don't really care very much about cars either but there is something about mid to late 50s into like the pre you know 
into around this this time, you know, 62, 63, that I do find really appealing on film and interesting history-wise, more so than the mid to late 60s and early 70s, and I think more so than, at least with the 40s, I think it's more just like we get that so much in history class and stuff like that. Like it's a yeah. hit pretty heavily up to that point, and at least with my awful public school education, it kind of feels like the 50s is just kind of, eh, not really talking about that. We yeah. got to jump from World War II to uh, the Soviets, essentially, like the COVID, yeah. Cold War, and really get into JFK and and Vietnam and all these sort of things. I don't know why this era appeals to me on film or and, and in history, but it really does. And I mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I have I was watching this movie last night, and I just I love the neon, and I like the I think the 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 concept of like you said, Kent, like the hangout movie, and we're just gonna get in our cars and and go and. The drive-ins are great. I, I mean, Mel's drive-in yeah, is it, is a great spot, and that's such. I mean, think about how many nights we went to Sonic a, as a youth. I mean, I feel like that concept, yeah, has has played cool. really, really well for generations. And I still have that a little bit. Like, I mean, if you know, I don't. I'm not a big people person. I'm not. A, I'm. I'm pretty introverted. If we go out and we get a drink, I'm pretty quick to be like, all right, where are we going next? You know, and it's just I think it's a little bit of that. That was something that I loved in in high school and college is just like keeping the night going and moving from place to place. And obviously, um, you know, our our version of (laughs) of drifting was was quite a bit different in the you know for me the late 90s and early 2000s and you guys the early to mid 2000s mostly but um there's something very appealing about still to me at 40 of of this kind of this bit i don't know richard you have any insight on like what is it about this time period that appeals to you and i don't know maybe that helps me figure it out myself it's the you know when you talk about um it's a lot of the war bonds coming out. You know, it's like a lot of things were building the, a superpower in the fifties. We now have mm. this nuclear bomb. We also saw that with Oppenheimer and there's some kind of like slow rebuild in the late forties as we all, the world, not just America kind of comes to grips with the last, you know, 10 years. And, um, and then 50 is this incredible time. We you know we build the interstate system and car culture becomes a thing. And like suburban I said, life. Yeah. yeah. It used to, and, the idea that you would be educated to 18 becomes much more of a norm. This was mm. not mm-hmm. necessarily the thing for you know sure. people outside yeah. of it. So thus then you had this, it used to be you, you became 12, 13, and then you became some version of an adult. And now there was this whole other thing, the, the teenager that, um, mm. you know, people figured out Coca-Cola and rock and roll and all this stuff figured these are people that actually have money in their pockets and are the audience and tastemakers for a lot of things. So you have a lot of things around youth culture. It seems old timey to us, things like mm-hmm. greaser culture and stuff, but this is like really, you know, uh, dads that were born in the twenties really hated this, you know? And so, um, it's in, and you have this continual time of growth of the baby boom, the Halberstam book, the fifties is really, really great on this. I mean, this is a, a great time of prosperity in America where everything, you know, kind of was going, not for all people, certainly not for people of color, mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that. But I mean, for, um, you know, 
for a lot of middle America, a time where like the prices of houses, houses and the prices of stuff fit salaries. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all sure. of a sudden you could build a life and there was a celebration of that and a change in that and all these different things that happen, which of course gets then, you know, which the fifties really go from like 1954 to 1965. Um, and then in the late, late sixties, early seventies, that, that all gets torn down. And, um, but it's a time of a lot of, of, of building and in prosperity that we still enjoy to this day, like the aforementioned interstates, uh, and the idea of getting in your car, you know, this, this movie's yeah. about, and maybe, maybe just going out and, and cruising to a few places in town, but also maybe going four towns over right? or, right. you know, and that's yeah. all new, you know, other than a train trip mm-hmm. or things like that. So, sure. um, it's a whole new America that people find themselves in the fifties. And it's a, I think a, a time of, of there's a lot of bad stuff that happens, but a time of general cultural, prosperity and innocence that I think is interesting to set mm-hmm. films in. That's a very good summation. Man, that was uh, a excellent. That was like that a history awesome. lesson. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's maybe the best uh, podcasting we've ever done. That was here. the that best was Richard Barton two, two and a half minutes yeah. in the history of ma'am. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's in the podcast now. That was awesome. Um, I love that. Seriously. Like I, I really, I'm genuinely, I genuinely that 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 kind of sort of um, puts into perspective uh, the the vibe that I get when I watch one of these movies. I think the soundtrack's great too. Fifties music, sixties music too, but really fifties is never something I'm going to pull up on my Spotify ever. I'm never going to be like, yeah, it's time to I'm going to get some Chuck Berry going here. Um, <laughs> But I always love it when it pops up in a movie, and this obviously this is a, that's a huge part of this thing. Um, one of the this is originally a movie that started at United Artists and got got turned down, ended up at Universal, and a big part of the reason why was um, the original script. Um, he wrote it essentially with needle drops written into the script and mm-hmm. had like 80, 80 songs that he wanted to use, and and United Artists was like, we're not, we can't we can't afford that. We can't get all of these, uh, all the licensing on this thing. So it ends up at like something like 40, 45 songs for the actual movie and, and, and no Elvis. There's no Elvis in this movie because they couldn't afford, uh, any Elvis songs. Um, but the, the soundtrack track costs like 90 K out of their $750,000 budget. And is also the reason why there's no score and, uh, to where they have to use these songs as the score essentially because they didn't have any more any money left over to to do a score and I think that that makes the movie that much better it works some movies really need a score I would say most movies really need a score this is one that having it scored by the songs that would have been on the radio it makes the movie better and I I love that part I mean there's a little bit of happy accident there maybe of just well we don't have any any money left over but that turned out to be the best thing possible i think for the movie I, I love i love this music in a movie or you know tv show or something like that much more than i do let me pop on the record here i think and and uh and enjoy that quite a bit about this and the other thing too can't this this may be more for you wolfman jack i yeah that's cool. i love that dude i love that 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 concept of the you know the am radio and 
um, and getting getting actual Wolfman Jack in this movie in a cameo appearance kind of, which is one of the better scenes in the movie, I think. And But just the concept of all of these people driving around this little town and they're all listening to Wolfman Jack, I love. I think that's a really fun um, sort of appealing little note here. Apparently he wanted to do a documentary on Wolfman Jack instead of this. Mm, but he yeah. said no, which led him to to doing this. I didn't notice it until this last rewatch that, man, that character of Philip Seymour Hoffman in Almost Famous feels inspired by that role in this, doesn't it? Sure, like sure. The kind of yeah. overarching voice of reason for the youth of the time, right? This kind of voice, you know person who you don't really have a face to this voice you've been reading for so long and trusting mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. I lo- I really enjoyed that. And I wanted to ask you guys this, because it seems like there's a definitive movie in this style every decade or generation. Sure. I feel like it's this for the 70s. For the 80s, it's probably The Breakfast Club. For the 90s, it's probably Days and Confused. Yeah. Uh, 2000, super bad, maybe. 2010s, uh, I don't know, Lady Bird, maybe something like that. Uh, there hasn't really been one for our youth, though. A movie that really just nails the mid-aughts aesthetic mm. and what we grew up in. I, th- I feel like that's still coming. Like, there's going to be a Days of Confused about mm. 2004. Sure. Yeah. The post-9-11 youth of America. And I'm excited to see who does it. Because right. it's boyhood had some ripe on the pine. Boyhood, boyhood a little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And yeah, Superbad has it on the comedian comic part of it. But you're right. There's not like the real kind of uh, right. weighty one. Can't Hardly Wait is yeah, the movie one. that comes closest, I think. But it's it's not a... Days of Confused came out in the 90s, but it's talking about the 70s, so you're right. right. Yeah. Can't Hardly Wait's probably more 90s culture. Yeah, yeah. for 90s, for the sure. The difference being that it happened in the moment. I think Can't Hardly yeah. Wait came out in 98 or 99. American Pie, same thing, but the problem, the difference between, and why, I mean, I, I agree with you, the difference between Days of Confused and American Graffiti, that kind of movie, and and I would even put Superbad in that despite what I'm about to say, but the difference between that it's and like, like gross out wait. comedy and not, yeah, right. I can't really wait. It's too silly. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's, it is supposed to be a comedy or maybe even a teen rom-com. If you want to go that direction more so than a slice of Americana essentially, right. which is what days and confused and American graffiti are. I think super bad did a much better job of capturing the moment Mm-hmm. Um. Then, can't hardly wait. Did can't super bad felt like a movie that was written. I'm I'm older than you guys. I was yeah. like out of college when super bad came out. But super bad felt like a movie that was written by somebody who had just graduated from college and was like yeah. in this like so within the last four years. Whereas that. can't hardly wait feels like a movie written by adults about. Yeah teenagers today there's like a real pre 9-11 thing that can't hardly wait which like super bad doesn't address 9-11 but there's something about that like that weird linchpin of culture that like the tone Mm -hmm. got different and got a little more biting and sarcastic and i always say this about super bad it's like that's the movie at least for a certain generation it may be different now but that's the movie that best to your point it replicates how kids talk they're not that vulgar always sometimes they are they're not that funny 
but there's a rhythm to that. The movie way they rib each feels other, authentic. Yeah. yeah, the way mm-hmm. it's the, right. that's how right. dudes of when at least when I was that's how we talked to each other, and there mm-hmm. was it nailed that rhythm right. And then you know the guitar parts and the flourishes might be mm-hmm. obviously a extremely vulgar, but b written mm-hmm. by comedy writers. But the right. the right. the bass line and drums are are very sure. true. Yeah, I think what's Definitely. great about this movie too is. George Lucas kind of wrote himself into three roles of it, right? The Ron Howard <laughs> mm-hmm. role, the Dreyfus role, and then like the nerd kid yeah. role. Yeah. I like that too, that there's these distinct different personalities. And so it gives the audience, male or female, somebody to relate to in the movie mm-hmm. or like, oh, that was my experience. You know, I remember me and my girlfriend broke up when I went to college or, oh, no, we stayed together. Or I remember mm-hmm. wanting to, to hang out with the cool kids and, when I got my chance, I blew it. Or I remember sure. uh, being by myself and I hung out with this incredibly beautiful girl and none of my friends believe me, you know, right, that, right. that kind of thing. We um, still don't. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that about this. And, you know, it, it does have that trope of, oh, I knew kids like that in high school. I sure. think everybody does. Yeah. And so it kind of plays into those cliches of the stereotypical kids in high school, but mm-hmm. in a really authentic way. I think Ron Howard's probably the best in the movie in terms of yeah. like, yeah. Um, I don't know, just a real natural performance and, and, uh, you can see why he was successful. Yeah. It's really interesting. This may be the last note I really have on this, but, um, I think I probably fall into this camp myself, uh, assuming that this is the movie that, um, gets happy days made for Ron. And it's actually, the opposite of that they had filmed the happy days pilot in 72 or 71 and rejected it they decided they weren't moving forward with it and then they aired it in uh as like here's the pilot and as part of uh love american style which is like an anthology show that was on at the time and lucas saw that and was like okay i, I want him for this this movie and then after the success of this movie then uh, CBS ends up saying, "All right, let's let's revisit this thing, kind of bring it back, um, and added uh, added Fonzie based on um, the greaser character whose name now I'm forgetting here in this one, Lemans, uh, who, who's really good, John Collier, I think. Um, it was an interesting because uh, t- you're right, Ken. I think Ron Howard's actually really great in this, and he's sort of." Uh, you know, he's on the poster and everything. Really, this is much more of Richard Dreyfuss's movie than it is Ron Howard's. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder with him too, if, uh, if this doesn't turn into happy days for him, what happens for him as an actor? Does he end up doing more stuff? Because ha- once happy days comes around and it, it's pretty much, he's done this, he's done happy days. He's locked into and, uh, this this kind of character and this this look and I think he kind of has to go into directing even if if uh, that wasn't going to end up being his thing because he was going to be very much typecast in that kind of role. Um, but I, I wonder what happens to him if uh, this Clint is the, this becomes the star. Happy days, yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's a that's a good point and. Harrison Ford's funny when he pops up in this too for the short time he's in it it's fun to see him in a really Mm -hmm. you know like his McConaughey moment in Days Confused of 
This yeah. guy just shows up and he's an automatic star. He was a construction right. worker or whatever he was on the side. Yeah, carpenter. Yeah, he yeah. turned us down originally because they were offering him less than scale, basically. And he's like, I can make more as a carpenter. And so they had to up the the pay rate, I think, to mm. 500 bucks a week in order for him to to sign on for this little part. And apparently he, he and a couple of the other guys were drunk the entire shoot and just like causing trouble well, and, plays it in their character pretty well yeah it worked out worked out well, really well i have one question for yeah, you guys please. this is my last thing is because richard that was such a important time in american history what this is playing on it's such a iconic time with the imagery and everything with the cars and the drive-ins and all all that it is this movie is in the national uh film registry library of mm-hmm. congress is it in there because it's the movie that really just captured that moment mm. the the best or the first? Does that make sense? Sure. Like, I feel like whoever makes the movie set in 2003, senior class, mm-hmm. and if it's a good movie, like, that's an easy Library of Congress type movie, right? Just because it was such an important time for right. people transitioning in life. Well, I would say this is like the kind, this is exactly the movie that you're, you're thinking of when you start the library of Congress, like the national film registry or whatever. It's like, this is, yeah, absolutely. This is got American in the name. Well, yeah. And it's just like, this is like the (laughs) perfect movie to put in a time capsule and say, you know, Hey, if you want to know what life was like in 1962, here Mm -hmm. you go. Even though this movie was made in 1973, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of perfectly designed that way. I think there are some movies that are like, in there because it's a good movie. And I think this one is more because it is a time capsule of America. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's a good movie, but I'm with you. I think it's probably not a great movie, um, but it is a great, mm, it's like a great, it's a very important point in the, the, the history of film in America at least. And maybe more so than, than the movie. Although the movie um, was very good. I I remember being bored by this when I was a kid and, then as a teenage, late, you know, late teenage, early 20s, like, oh, this is actually a really good movie. And I'm not bored by this at all. When my dad was watching it when I was nine or whatever, like, dad, what are we doing? This is beat down. But um, yeah, it's 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 a very good movie, too. I think, I think Days and Confused is a better movie and Same. also funnier. I totally agree. Yeah. 100%. But but because I think in the 50s and 60s, I mean, the kids were so polite, like they didn't curse each other out and stuff like in well, the... In yeah, the seventies, I think that culturally it was just way yeah. more different. And and to sort of paraphrase a point that uh, I think Richard and I both have sort of made over the years, like um, Days and Confused had American Graffiti and Fast Times at Ridgemont High and a couple of others to work off of, and and I don't think American Graffiti did. It's it's you know mm-hmm. it's the Hendrix thing or the you know the Bob Dylan thing, whatever. It's like yeah, there's a lot of there's probably been better guitar players than Jimi Hendrix. This is sort of Richard's point in the past that I'm poorly paraphrasing, but oh, probably been better guitar players than, than Jimi Hendrix. But, um, you know, Jimi Hendrix was the first or soprano, yeah. same thing. Like, yeah, they all got to grow up listening to Jimi Hendrix. Maybe. Yeah, right, exactly. But, um, but, but Mad Men had sopranos to work off of and sopranos had, it's a good point, you know, X-Files or whatever to work off of. So it's a little bit different. Um, okay. How nervous? How nervous was yeah. Spielberg though when this came out? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh god, this guy is gonna be 
me like he he's he was like i gotta do something incredible <laughs> like it put put pressure on all his uh, yeah. i mean coppola had the godfather the year before this right. so he was fine right. but i bet spielberg was freaking out like oh man i need to do more than duel you know or whatever he was doing <laughs> at this time sure yeah I've said before, I, I'm not very interested in biopics. I would be very interested in the movie Bratz biopic or yeah. series. Yes. Or th- there was a podcast series, I think that Hollywood Reporter did a few years ago that was based on the it wasn't it was overproduced, it like had a lot of fake quotes yeah. reading and stuff like it was almost oh, like no. a cast and I did not that wasn't what I was yeah. wanting. I think you could do a really interesting six part I wanted uh, to Netflix do it series on these but guys with like a horny Jerry West type <laughs> twist. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where and make like, a lot of really, yeah, really well, obvious political points that yeah. you are actually super subtle. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you read the book, the chapter in is just really horny. in it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read the chapter in Tarantino's book about this yet? Uh, I haven't. No, I need to get oh, this man. book. I need to get on this thing. Yeah. yeah. Let Tarantino direct the the documentary about yeah, the movie Bratz. He he puts De Palma in there too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, De Palma was sort of the one of the the, the guys. Yeah. yeah, hearing Tarantino talk De Palma is yeah, that's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, he's obsessed with with De Palma, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's such an interesting time from seventy three to seventy seven. Is what those guys, the conversations they yeah. were having, and every everything in American film comes yeah. out of this. This everything, oh, yeah. everything, and and it's I don't know. Maybe they don't want to talk about. It. Maybe that's maybe that's been pitched a thousand times in in uh, boardrooms. But uh, it seems like an obvious. You need to do it, it like quick because they're uh, Francis. Yeah, is pretty old. Right. Like you can't do the. They're not talk to they're him. Not young guys and um, and. So, uh, all right, Peter let's grade this and, and get out of here. Uh, I'll, I'll give this a this is a straight A for me. Legacy wise, is A plus 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 plus. I mean, this is a huge, huge. This is like a, a, kind of a touchstone moment in uh, American film at the time. Uh, but as a movie, just a solid A for me. Uh, Richard, what about you? Same, right, same thoughts. So, Sweet. moving along, Kent, what nice. about you? Man? Same for me, an A. And what I like about it too is it's all at night, basically. I think that yes, works really love well that too. the way you Big shot fan it. Of that, that trope. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It's good. All right. Well, thank you for listening and for being here, dear VIPs. Uh, this movie's on Netflix, I believe, through the end of August. So if you want to watch it uh, for free, get on that. Or not for free. I'm sure it's just, you know, part of your... Included. You know, yeah. Included in your streaming plans. Um, get on that. Next week, I think we'll be talking about... Uh, searching, searching for, for Bobby, Bobby Fisher. Fisher. Yeah. That'll be fun. And the following week, last week of August, will be Disaster Retrospective talking Cutthroat Island, which will be a really fun one, I think, because that movie is terrible. And the legacy of what it did, this is like <laughs> studio-destroying film. So it'll be it'll be fun to talk about. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you at the same. Goodbye. Goodbye.